Chapter Nine of the Seats of the Mighty by Gilbert Parker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. I was wakened completely by the shooting of bolts. With the opening of the door, I saw the figures of Gabo and Vubon. My little friend, the mouse, saw them also and scampered from the bread it had been eating away among the corn through which my footsteps had now made two rectangular paths not disregarded by gabo who solicitously pulled vubo into the narrow track that he should not trespass on my harvest i rose showed no particular delight at seeing vubo but greeted him easily though my heart was bursting to ask him of a leaks and arranged my clothes presently gabo said stools for barber and wheeling he left the dungeon he was gone only an instant but long enough for vubo to thrust a letter into my hand which i ran into the lining of my waistcoat as i whispered her brother is he well well and he have go to france he answered she make me say look to the round window in the chateau front we spoke in english which as i have said vubo understood imperfectly there was nothing more said and if gabo when he returned suspected he showed no sign but put down two stools seating himself on one as i seated myself on the other for vubo's handiwork presently a soldier appeared with a bowl of coffee gabo rose took it from him waved him away and handed it to me never did coffee taste so sweet and I sipped and sipped till Vubo had ended his work with me. Then I drained the last drop and stood up. He handed me a mirror, and Gabo, fetching me a fine white handkerchief from his pocket, said, Here's for your tears, when they drum you to heaven, dicky bird. But when I saw my face in the mirror, I confess I was startled. My hair, which had been black, was plentifully sprinkled with white. My face was intensely pale and thin, and the eyes were sunk in dark hollows. I should not have recognized myself, but I laughed as I handed back the glass and said, All flesh is as grass, but a dungeon's no good meadow. Tis for the dry chaff, Gabo answered. Not for young grass. Oh-ho! He rose and made ready to leave, Vubo with him. The commissariat comes here in an hour or so. Ha, 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 ha. He said with a ripe chuckle. It was clear the new state of affairs was more to his mind than the long year's rigor and silence. It seemed to me strange then, and it has seemed so ever since, that during all that time I never was visited by Doltaire but once, and of that event I am going to write briefly here. It was about two months before this particular morning that he came, greeting me courteously enough. "'Close quarters here,' said he, looking round as if the place were new to him, and smiling to himself. "'Not so close as we will all come to one day,' said I. "'Dismal comparison,' he rejoined. "'You've lost your spirits.' "'Not so,' retorted I. "'Nothing but my liberty.' you know the way to find it quickly he suggested the letters for le pompadour i asked a dead man's waste papers responded he of no use to him or you 
or any one save the grand marquise valuable to me said i none but the grand marquise and the writer would give you a penny for them why should i not be my own merchant you can to me if not to me to no one you had your chance long ago and you refused it you must admit i dealt fairly with you i did not move till you had set your own trap and fallen into it now if you do not give me the letters well you will give them to no one else in this world it has been a fair game and i am winning now i've only used means which one gentleman might use with another had you been a lesser man i should have had you spitted long ago you understand perfectly but since we have played so long do you think i'll give you the stakes now before the end it would be wiser he answered thoughtfully i have a nation behind me urged i it has left you in a hole here to rot it will take over your citadel and dig me out some day i retorted hotly what good that your life is more to you than quebec to england no no said i quickly i would give my life a hundred times to see your flag hauled down a freakish ambition he replied mere infatuation you do not understand it monsieur doltier i remarked ironically i love not endless puzzles there is no sport in following a maze that leads to nowhere save the grave he yawned this air is heavy he added you must find it trying never as trying as at this moment i retorted come am i so malarious you are a trickster i answered coldly ah you mean that night at bigot's he smiled no no you were to blame so green you might have known we were for having you between the stones but it did not come out as you wished hinted i it served my turn he responded and he gave me such a smiling malicious look that i knew sought to convey he had his way with alix and though i felt that she was true to me his cool presumption so stirred me i could have struck him in the face i got angrily to my feet but as i did so i shrank a little for at times the wound in my side not yet entirely healed hurt me you are not well he said with instant show of curiosity your wounds still trouble you they should be healed gabord was ordered to see you cared for gabord has done well enough answered i i have had wounds before monsieur he leaned against the wall and laughed what braggarts you english are he said a race of swashbucklers even on bread and mortar he had me at advantage and i knew it for he had kept his temper i made an effort both excellent rejoined i and english too he laughed again come that is better that's in your old vein i love to see you so but how knew you our baker was english which he is a prisoner like yourself as easily as i could tell the water was not made by frenchmen now i have hope of you he broke out gaily you will yet redeem your nation at that moment gabo came with a message from the governor to doltaire and he prepared to go you are set on sacrifice he asked think 
dangling from cape diamond i will meditate on your fate instead i replied think he said again waving off my answer with his hand the letters i shall no more ask for and you will not escape death never by that way rejoined i so very good au plaisir my captain i go to dine at the seigneur de varney's with that last thrust he was gone and left me wondering if the seigneur had ever made an effort to see me if he had forgiven the duel with his son that was the incident when gabo and vubo were gone leaving the light behind i went over to where the torch stuck in the wall and drew alix's letter from my pocket with eager fingers it told the whole story of her heart chateau st louis twenty seventh november seventeen fifty seven though i write you these few words dear robert i do not know that they will reach you for as yet it is not certain they will let vubo visit you a year dear friend and not a word from you i should have broken my heart if i had not heard of you one way and another they say you are much worn in body though you have always a cheerful air there are stories of a visit monsieur doter paid you and how you jested he hates you and yet he admires you too and now listen robert and i beg you not to be angry oh do not be angry for i am all yours but i want to tell you that i have not repulsed monsieur doter when he has spoken flatteries to me i have not believed them and i have kept my spirit strong against the evil in him i want to get you free of prison and to that end i have to work through him with the intendant that he will not set the governor more against you with the intendant himself i will not deal at all so i use the lesser villain and in truth the more powerful for he stands higher at versailles than any here with the governor i have influence for he is as you know a kinsman of my mother's and of late he has shown a fondness for me yet you can see that i must act most warily that i must not seem to care for you for that would be your complete undoing i rather seem to scoff oh how it hurts me how my cheeks tingle when i think of it alone and how i clench my hands hating them all for oppressing you i do not believe their slanders that you are a spy it is i robert who have at last induced the governor to bring you to trial they would have put it off till next year but i feared you would die in that awful dungeon and i was sure that if your trial came on there would be a change as there is to be for a time at least you are to be lodged in the common jail during the sitting of the court and so that is one step gained yet i had to use all manner of device with the governor he is sometimes so playful with me that i can pretend to sulkiness and so one day i said that he showed no regard for our family or for me in not bringing you who had nearly killed my brother to justice so he consented and being of a stubborn nature too when monsieur doter and the intendant opposed the trial he said it should come off at once but one thing grieves me they are to have you march through the streets of the town like any common criminal and i dare show no distress nor plead nor can my father though he wishes to move for you in this and i dare not urge him for then it would seem strange the daughter asked your punishment and the father sought to lessen it when you are in the common jail it will be much easier to help you i have seen gabo but he is not to be bent to any purpose though he is kind to me i shall try once more to have him take some wine and meat to you to-night 
if i fail then i shall only pray that you may be given strength in body for your time of trouble equal to your courage it may be i can fix upon a point where you may look to see me as you pass to-morrow to the chateau there must be a sign if you will put your hand to your forehead but no they may bind you and your hands may not be free when you see me pause in your step for an instant and i shall know i will tell vubo where you shall send your glance if he is to be let in to you and i hope that what i plan may not fail and so robert adieu time cannot change me and your misfortunes draw me closer to you only the dishonourable thing could make me close the doors of my heart and i will not think you whate'er they say unworthy of my constant faith some day maybe we shall smile at and even cherish these sad times in this gay house i must be flippant for i am now of the foolish world but under all the trivial sparkle a serious heart beats it belongs to thee if thou wilt have it robert the heart of thy alix an hour after getting this good letter gabot came again and with him breakfast a word which i had almost dropped from my language true it was only in a dungeon on a pair of stools by the light of a torch but how i relished it a bottle of good wine a piece of broiled fish the half of a fowl and some tender vegetables when gabot came for me with two soldiers an hour later i say an hour but i only guessed so for i had no way of noting time i was ready for new cares and to see the world again before the others gabot was the rough almost brutal soldier and soon i knew that i was to be driven out upon the st foy road and on into the town my arms were well fastened down and i was tied about till i must have looked like a bale of living goods of no great value indeed my clothes were by no means handsome and save for my well-shaven face and clean handkerchief i was an ill-favoured spectacle but i tried to bear my shoulders up as we marched through the dark reeking corridors and presently came suddenly into well-lighted passages i had to pause for the light blinded my eyes and they hurt me horribly so delicate were the nerves for some minutes i stood there my guard stolidly waiting gabble muttering a little and stamping upon the floor as if in anger though i knew he was merely playing a small part to deceive his comrades the pain in my eyes grew less and though they kept filling with moisture from the violence of the light i soon could see without distress i was led into the yard of the citadel where was drawn up a company of soldiers gabo bade me stand still and advance towards the officers quarters i asked him if i might not walk to the ramparts and view the scene he gruffly assented bidding the men watch me closely and i walked over to a point where standing three hundred feet above the noble river i could look out upon its sweet expanse across to the levis shore with its serried legions of trees behind and its bold settlement in front upon the heights there eastward lay the well-wooded island of orleans and over all the clear sun and sky enlivened by a crisp and cheering air snow had fallen but none now lay upon the ground and i saw rare and winning earth i stood absorbed i was recalling that first day that i remember in my life when at balmore my grandfather made prophecies upon me and for the first time i was conscious of the world as i stood lost to everything about me 
I heard Doltaire's voice behind, and presently he said over my shoulder, To wish Captain Moray a good morning was superfluous. I smiled at him. The pleasure of that scene had given me an impulse towards good nature even with my enemies. The best I ever had, I answered quietly. Contrasts are life's delights, he said. You should thank us. You have your best day because of our worst dungeon. But my thanks shall not be in words. You shall have the same courtesy at our hands one day. I had the Bastille for a year he rejoined, calling up a squad of men with his finger as he spoke. I have had my best day. Two would be monotony. You think your English will take this some time? he asked, waving a finger towards the citadel. It will need good play to pluck that ribbon from its place. He glanced up, as he spoke, at the white flag with its golden lilies. So much the better sport, I answered. We will have the ribbon and its heritage. You yourself shall furnish evidence to-day. Gabor here will see you temptingly disposed. The wild bull led peaceably by the nose. But one day I will twist your nose, Monsieur Doltaire. That is fair enough, if rude, he responded. When your turn comes, you twist and I endure. You shall be nourished well like me, and I shall look a battered hulk like you but I shall never be the fool that you are. If I had a way to slip the leash, I'd slip it. You are a dolt. He was touching upon the letters again. I weigh it all, said I. I am no fool. Anything else you will. You'll be nothing soon, I fear. Which is a pity. What more he might have said I do not know, but there now appeared in the yard a tall, reverend old gentleman, in the costume of a courier du bois, though his belt was richly chased, and he wore an order on his breast. There was something more refined than powerful in his appearance, but he had a keen, kindly eye, and a manner unmistakably superior. His dress was a little barbarous, unlike Doltaire's splendid white uniform, set off with violet and gold, the lace of a fine handkerchief sticking from his belt, and a gold-handled sword at his side, but the manner of both was distinguished. Seeing Doltaire, he came forward and they embraced. Then he turned towards me, and as they walked off a little distance I could see that he was curious concerning me. Presently he raised his hand, and, as if something had excited him, said, No, 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 hang him and be done with it, but I'll have nothing to do with it, not a thing. Tis enough for me to rule that— I could hear no further— but I was now sure that he was some one of note who had retired from any share in state affairs. He and Doltaire then moved on to the doors of the citadel, and, pausing there, Doltaire turned round and made a motion of his hand to Gabot. I was at once surrounded by the squad of men, and the order to march was given. A drum in front of me began to play a well-known derisive air of the French army, the fox and the wolf. We came out on the St. Foy Road and down towards the Chateau St. Louis, between crowds of shouting people who beat drums, kettles, pans, and made all manner of mocking noises. It was meant not only against myself, but against the British people. The women were not behind the men in violence. From them at first came handfuls of gravel and dust which struck me in the face, but Gabo put a stop to that. 
it was a shameful ordeal which might have vexed me sorely if i had not greater trials and expected worse now and again appeared a face i knew some lady who turned her head away or some gentleman who watched me curiously but made no sign when we came to the chateau i looked up as if casually and there in the little round window i saw alix's face for an instant only i stopped in my tracks was prodded by a soldier from behind and then i stepped on entering we were taken to the rear of the building where in an open courtyard were a company of soldiers some seats and a table on my right was the st lawrence swelling on its course hundreds of feet beneath little boats passing hither and thither on its flood we were waiting about half an hour the noises of the clamouring crowd coming to us as they carried me aloft in effigy and burning me at the cliff edge fired guns and threw stones at me till rags ashes and flame i was tumbled into the river far below at last from the chateau came the marquis de vaudreuil bigou and a number of officers the governor looked gravely at me but did not bow bigou gave me a sneering smile eyeing me curiously the while and i could feel remarking on my poor appearance to cunal beside him cunal who winked at his wife's dishonor for the favor of her lover who gave him means for public robbery presently the governor was seated and he said looking round monsieur doter he is not here bigou shook his head and answered no doubt he is detained at the citadel and the seigneur de Barney? the governor added at that moment the governor's secretary handed him a letter the governor opened it listen said he he read to the effect that the signero de varney felt he was hardly fitted to be a judge in this case remembering the conflict between his son and the notorious captain moray and from another standpoint though the prisoner merited any fate reserved for him if guilty of spying he could not forget that his life had been saved by this british captain an obligation which unfortunately he could never repay nor wipe out after much thought he must disobey the governor's summons and he prayed that his excellency would grant his consideration thereupon i saw the governor frown but he made no remark while bigou said something in his ear which did not improve his humour for he replied curtly and turned to his secretary we must have two gentlemen more he said at that moment doltaire entered with the old gentleman of whom i have written the governor instantly brightened and gave the stranger a warm greeting calling him his dear chevalier and after a deal of urging the chevalier de la durante was seated as one of my judges which did not at all displease me for i liked his face i do not need to dwell upon the trial here i have set down the facts before i had no counsel and no witnesses there seemed no reason why the trial should have dragged on all day for i soon saw it was intended to find me guilty yet i was surprised to see how doltaire brought up a point here and a question there in my favour which served to lengthen out the trial and all the time he sat near the chevalier de la durante now and again talking with him it was late evening before the trial came to a close the one point to be established was that the letters taken from general braddock were mine and that i had made the plans while a hostage 
I acknowledged nothing, and would not do so unless I was allowed to speak freely. This was not permitted until just before I was sentenced. Then Doltier's look was fixed on me, and I knew he waited to see if I would divulge the matter private between us. However, I stood by my compact with him. Besides, it could not serve me to speak of it here, or use it as an argument, and it would only hasten an end which I felt he could prevent if he chose. So when I was asked if I had aught to say, I pleaded only that they had not kept the Articles of War signed at Fort Necessity, which provided I should be free within two months and a half, that is, when prisoners in our hands should be delivered up to them, as they were. They had broken their bond, though we had fulfilled ours, and I held myself justified in doing what I had done for our cause and for my own life. I was not heard patiently, though I could see that the governor and the chevalier were impressed, but Bigu instantly urged the case hotly against me, and the end came very soon. It was now dark, a single light had been brought and placed beside the governor, while a soldier held a torch at a distance. Suddenly there was a silence. Then, in response to a signal, the sharp ringing of a hundred bayonets as they were drawn and fastened to the muskets, and I could see them gleaming in the feeble torchlight. Presently, out of the stillness, the governor's voice was heard condemning me to death by hanging. Thirty days hence, at sunrise. Silence fell again instantly, and then a thing occurred which sent a thrill through us all. From the dark balcony above us came a voice, weird, high, and wailing. Guilty, guilty, guilty! He is guilty, and shall die! Francois Bigot shall die! The voice was Matilda's, and I saw Doltier shrug a shoulder and look with malicious amusement at the intendant. Bigot himself sat pale and furious. Discover the intruder, he said to Gabot, who was standing near, and have him jailed. But the governor interfered. It is some drunken creature, he urged quietly. Take no account of it. End of chapter 9